0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Any Given Thursday podcast. This is Max speaking with you. Um, David can't be with us today for the first time ever um, because he has other shit going on. Um, so let the record show that I'm a much more committed podcaster and fan and enthusiast than David. Now that that's out of the way, uh, let's dive right into the results of Match Day 2 in the World Cup. Um, Just a quick note, though, we're actually recording on Tuesday evening as this is coming out as well. Um, So we've already seen Group A wrap up and Group B wrap up. This means that we've seen the Netherlands top the group in Group A by beating Qatar. And we've seen Senegal jump Ecuador to qualify after beating them as well. In Group B, meanwhile, the U.S. come through in second um after beating Iran 1-0 and England smack around Wales 3-0 and top the group so we already know those results Um, I'm not going to talk about them in immense technical detail right now instead um we'll talk about them we'll circle back to them on Friday when we release our group stage wrap-up podcast for now though I'm just going to stick to the match day two results um and talk to them talk about them with an eye to the future for those who got eliminated and those who are going on to the round of 16 so let's start with last week's action in group a where qatar lost 1-3 to senegal which made them the earliest the host to be earliest eliminated in world cup history shocker right so qatar won senegal three goals from dia Diedu, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. Fuck it. And uh Qatar pulled one back in the 78th minute through Montari to give themselves hope, but then Bamba Diang finishes in the 84th to wrap things up. Qatar actually out XG'd Senegal in this one, 0.96 to 0.75. <clears throat> and frankly, they looked a lot better than the first game. Um, especially in the second half. It's kind of funny how different two uh, two goal wins or losses in Qatar's case um, can compare. Senegal beat Qatar by the same margin as Ecuador did, which is two goals, but didn't feel nearly as dominant. The second half, as I said, Qatar really found the grasp. Um, their grasp in the tournament. They collected a number of really decent chances. They had some of the ball, forty five percent of the ball overall. The problem, their real undoing, was sloppy mistakes and play at the back, including a big mistake for the opening Senegal goal. Senegal was okay, but um going into the going into this today's match with Ecuador, I didn't necessarily think they'd been that impressive in either. They held the Dutch pretty well, but in in match day one. But I didn't think they'd been that awesome, <clears throat> especially and looked pretty toothless without Mane. Um and I thought Ecuador, the way Ecuador's played, they should be favored. However, you know, they turned it around, they really uh really showed up today against Ecuador. Um, let's talk about Ecuador though. Netherlands won, one Ecuador. Cody Gakbo got the Dutch off to a perfect start in the sixth minute with a, with a lovely finish from outside the box. And then at the end, Ecuador really started to push the end in the second part of the first half, the last 15 minutes or so. They seem to have gotten their war, reward through a stupidon in the 45th plus fourth minute. Um, however, it was disallowed for being offside. That was, it was pretty unlucky too. It was a really tight, uh, really tight call because um, it wasn't it was uh it was for impeding the goalkeeper in an offside position. I thought that was unlucky. Enter Valencia, then scored his third goal of the tournament, uh in the 49th minute, to get that deserved equalizer. And I have to say for from the minutes like 30 to 70 or so, Ecuador completely bossed this game. Like it looked like the Dutch were the underdogs. They had, I really didn't want to dwell on this one to be honest, as a Dutch fan, because it was really awful to watch. Uh, but I want to give Ecuador credit. They really dominated for large stretches of this game. Once they got a foothold, they really didn't look back despite that unfortunate own goal. The thing they really did that affected the Dutch was crowd and press the middle of the pitch. And after the Gakbo goal, which actually came for a bit of direct play, um, they really stifled the Oranya in that key area. The Dutch only had two shots in the entire game, one on target, the Gakbo goal. Ah, uh, the Dutch really wanted to progress the ball from the center backs in into and Frankie De Jong sort of dropping in with them, and then once they get into the middle and have control of the middle, they, they want to spread out to Dumfries uh, and Gakpo, um, you know, get get people in in dangerous half spaces on the wings and in the flanks. But Ecuador forced the build up to be super narrow. They forced a ton of errors and turnovers. It happened over and over and over and over again. Um, the only thing that really saved the Dutch here from losing, I think, was. Frankie dropping deeper and deeper to get some sort of grasp on on the game, and they well they didn't end up progressing and having a lot of chances. They did at least the Dutch that is stabilize the midfield to some degree. I think they really missed a guy like like Vinallum in this game, who could pop up and in, in have that sort of effect that De Jong does, but in more attacking spaces. The way he used to play for the Dutch before the injury is usually kind of in that ten area that we saw Davy Klassen playing in. Um, it, just, it was ugly for the Dutch, really ugly and kind of shocking to watch. One of the worst games I think I've ever seen them play as a fan. I uh, don't know if they just weren't at it or how much can be attributed to Ecuador's really good sort of mid-block press. Um, but it was a little disturbing for me to watch to the point where I'm going to be I'm a little... They did, obviously, they beat Qatar easily today because it's Qatar. But I'd be concerned as a fan um, how they'd look against the United States, who also showed the ability to press a little bit of that mid block, which we're going to get to in a moment. Um, but yeah, huge credit for Ecuador in this one. I think they'll look back on this game and feel frustrated. They didn't win because they deserve to. And, you know, with hindsight being that they've, that they've lost and gone out to Senegal after playing really, really well. The first two match days, I think they will be super, super disappointed looking back that they didn't get a better result here. But let's move on to group B where, um, Wales lost 2-0 to Iran. Iran totally turned around their fortunes after conceding six goals to England in match day one. Uh, they had a early 16-minute goal disallowed for offside. And then this game went deep into regular time when Wayne Hennessy, first-choice Welsh keeper, got a laughable red card, the first red card of the entire tournament. He actually rushed out to challenge, um, I think it was Taramey, for Iran, the forward who was, who was challenging the ball, he rushed all the way out of the box, and he absolutely clattered him. And he wasn't the last one back. So Ref comes up with a yellow. But upon replay, it's pretty obvious that he, like, knees him in the head. So he gets sent off through VAR. It's uh, it's pretty bad. It's a pretty pre- pretty stupid red card. Very clumsy from Hennessy. So now the Welsh are down to 10, and deep, deep into stoppage time, the 98th minute. Chesme for Iran. Scores the winner. It's the latest winner in regulation in World Cup history, actually. Um, And then they attack in a second in the the, uh, 101st minute. So congratulations to them there. Wales were really pretty bad today. But Iran deserve a lot of credit, particularly, you know, given the situation they're in and the shellacking they took to England. Um, The battle of which team would be forced into possessing the ball because nobody really wants to. Wales actually managed to handle the majority of the ball, but it was Ron who had all the best chances. They fully deserved the winner. Wales did have a huge chance to go ahead in the 12th minute. Kiefer Moore got the start, finally, and he got his boot to a cross from about six yards out, and he lunged for it, but it went straight to the keeper. Maybe that that would have changed the nature of the match. Um, but after the uh, disallowed goal where Ron also hit both posts in the second half during the same attack, like just recycled and Uh, you know, on another shot, one from close range, one side on the outside of the box. Um, And then there's a follow-up header, which is a good chance, but it's smothered by Hennessy. Hennessy made another really good save in the 73rd minute with his fingertips, but the red card for him was a bit comical. And it put an already under attack whales even under even more pressure. And yeah, they never really look like snatching this one late, to be honest. The uh the eventual Iranian winner comes with a from a great right footed hit into the bottom corner, tons of power, beats Danny Ward the the backup keeper. Really good performance from Iran. Um, they tackled really hard, played with pace, and honestly, I going into the this uh, U.S. game today, I was a little concerned, you know, as a somebody who wants the U.S. to win, uh, just because how tough Iran looked to play against. Fortunately, we got past them. Um, but I think they uh, at the very least did themselves somewhat proud um for the way they performed, at least in these la in in this Wales game. Bale and Ramsey look like a problem to me. Really off the pace. Um and perhaps the age has just about crept up to them. Ramsey, I didn't think should have started against England today, but what are you gonna do? Uh, to wrap up group B, England nil nil USA. Um, This was a really encouraging one for the United States. I was concerned after the Wales draw that there wouldn't be enough points on the table for them, but they put in a superb performance on Friday. They made life life very hard on England. In fact, I thought if any team deserved to win, it was them. They really shut down England's ball progression into the attacking half. A lot of bodies in the middle of the pitch. England didn't combat this with enough pace and creativity, and they let the U.S. control the game in large stretches, I thought. After about 20 minutes in particular, the U.S., you could see them finding confidence, beginning to turn the screw a little bit. Uh, you know, a cross fell to Weston McKenney. He blasted over a good chance. Musa had a hard shot, deflected straight for Pickford, and then Pulisic hit the crossbar with a really good effort. That was all within a series of a couple of minutes. Um, and I think you saw some really good performances from... McKenny, Musa, and Adams—the midfield really controlled the game, which is crazy against you know Bellingham, Rice, and, and Mount. Uh, so I think that was really encouraging, and the midfield's been really good for the U.S. this entire group stage. Uh, a- after half, they continued the pressure. They had about a 10-minute stretch where they must have had like five or six corners in succession. Uh, but oddly, England's best player in this game was Harry Maguire. He was huge on that series of corners. He seemed to be the deterrent each time, getting his head to everything. The biggest one was delivery of the far post from Pulisic, and Pulisic had peeled away from his man. He's wide open, just a power home from five, six yards. And If Maguire doesn't get ahead to it last second, it's 1-0, but he does. Um, so credit Maguire for showing up in this group stage, particularly in this game. I wouldn't say there's a lot of positives for England here, other than they managed to get a clean sheet, and then they... they like, you know, still controlled the group, which they ended up winning. But you know, that's Southgate tournament football for you if the u s you know, the u s. was then in a win and win and in scenario, which means they've done just enough as they got through. um but yeah, really encouraging, I thought, especially in the midfield and in the back. I thought Tim Reem has been really good in the group stage. Um, Zimmerman a little has been solid, but a little dicey with the ball at his feet in this game a couple of times. but Credit where credit's due. This is one of the better results in World Cup history, you have to say. A 1-1 win. Now let's move on to uh, groups that haven't wrapped up yet and still have everything in the balance. Group C's match day two results include Poland 2-0 Saudi Arabia and Argentina sorry Argentina 2-0 Mexico. Let's start with Poland and Saudi Arabia. Poland opened the scoring in the 39th minute through Zielinski. Then Saudi Arabia got a penalty at the very end of the first half, 45, 45 plus one minutes. But Dessari, the hero from the Argentina match, cannot slap, slot home past Juve's own and former Arsenal keeper, Chesney. He did brilliantly here, not only to save this pen, which was a good save. It wasn't like a terrible penalty, actually. Puts it in an okay spot, but Chesney's just on it. Um... He comes Chesney comes up with an arguably even better save in the follow up. After that, point blank range where he's able to tip it over. Chesney it seems has sort of a knack for double saves. Uh, I swear I've seen. I, I he's definitely had more than one of this type of opportunity before, and he should should have been the man of the match for this game, I believe. <clears throat> and then Poland finish it off in the 82nd minute through Lewandowski. It's shockingly his first World Cup goal but it was comes from a horrible mistake at the back, really heavy touch on a back pass. Lua jumps all over it. He was emotional, crazy to think at his age and all everything he's accomplished that he's never actually scored a world cup goal before. So congratulations to him. Saudi Arabia out XG Poland, 1.73 to 1.56. In fact, they outshot them. They outpossessed possessed them. They actually had 64% of the ball in this game. Um, so I don't think the scoreline tells the full story here. Saudi Arabia, I think, proved that the Argentina performance wasn't totally a fluke. Like, they could still play, and they played pretty well. They had the bulk of the ball. They created the better creative moves and scoring opportunities, you'd say. Not, like, to an extreme degree, but by a bit. And, of course, they missed the penalty in follow-up, which would account for a huge percentage of their XG. Um, as would Lewandowski's chance and goal. So a loss two-nil loss here is definitely harsh on them. Uh, I've been pretty unimpressed with Poland through their first two matches, even though they're actually on top of the group now and in really pole position going into tomorrow. They haven't been particularly thrilling to watch, despite we built them up as having some really fun attackers that are more than Lewandowski right now. But you saw some of that with Zielinski, I guess, today. But uh, they I'd be concerned about them making a deep run, even if they get through here, just because of what they've been offering. But, you know, they're in the driver's seat, so we'll see. Argentina, 2-0 Mexico. Messi, Messi, Messi. Lionel fucking Messi is the difference here. He scores in the 64th minute. And Enzo Fernandez scores in the 87th. 2-0. The XG in this game, 0.32 to Argentina, 0.27 Mexico. Argentina had the better of the possession. So... This game from the start was bursting with the most palpable of tensions. There was a huge, passionate, nervous crowd packed into the stadium. It was the big Lucille stadium thing that's hosting the final, so it's packed. I think they said like eighty eight thousand people that were there or something. I don't know if that's true, but you really feel the weight of the two nations' expectations, though, from the opening kick, you know, there the, Argentina, obviously one of the favorites were facing elimination if they lost. Mexico, meanwhile, has made it out of seven straight group stages and there's an expectation and then obviously you know what they want to do is finally get to that fifth game again in the tournament but obviously both teams expect and demand to get out of the group at the very least and with such rich footballing history and tradition there was a lot at stake here and say mexico did a really good job of limiting Argentina's space like the us and england they crowded them centrally and 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 kind of surprised, I think I think they they switched to a back three. also, like usually they'll play their four, three, three. They played a back three here, and they really crowded Argentina in the spaces that they wanted to create. Um, Argentina I think had a diamond midfield. So you know, their their space was squeezed. Argentina played into their hands, basically playing without winners, wingers. Uh, I don't know. Dybala didn't feature in this game again. I wonder if he's not fit enough to play still, because a fit Dybala would have been really useful in this game, I think. Um the combined XG in this game was 0.59, which I expect is the lowest of the World Cup so far. Uh the and the first half XG, I think, was I don't even know. It was I think it was less than 0.1. It was like kind of embarrassing. Um so it, you know, it was a really, really staunch and I wouldn't, I don't want to say passive, but defensive and calculated effort in the first half from both sides. Nobody wanted to make the mistake and lose the game. But eventually, if the goal didn't come from mistake. It came from Lionel Messi's brilliance. His uh, 64th minute winner, excuse me, was a brilliant hit from just outside the box in the bottom corner. Really powerful. No chance, no chance for for World Cup legend Ochoa. And it was a really emotional response from Messi and the players and the fans. It really poured out of everybody. After that, Argentina seemed to have a bit of a weight lifted, and they really controlled the play. Mexico couldn't really get a a kick in. Enzo Fernandez wrapped it up late with another excellent goal. Huge moment for the 21-year-old who, you know, grew up idolizing Messi. And I just saw a thing on Twitter where Enzo actually wrote a letter to Messi when he was a teenager. When after Messi missed a penalty in the Gold Cup Centenario to Chile and lost to keep, you know, to, to keep the, him winless in uh, in tournament finals with Argentina. Enzo wrote him a letter begging him not to quit. Very cute. And now he's hugging Messi after wrapping up an enormous win. So nice moment for him. Argentina still has work to do. They'll want to beat you know, beating Poland and they're in. But this will ease many world minds in South America, in that part of South America. Mexico, though, is in big, big, big trouble. They need to beat Saudi Arabia at the very minimum. If Poland beats Argentina and they beat Saudi Arabia, Mexico would be through. But if it's a draw or an Argentina win, Mexico have to overturn three or four goal differential. So it's super dicey for them. It looks like probably. This is going to be the first time in eight World Cups so that they don't make it out of the group stage. Probably anything can happen. But, you know, Saudi Arabia isn't quite the walk in the park we thought before the tournament either. So it's not going to be easy just to walk all over them for 90 minutes. So they have to score and Mexico. They have haven't scored a goal in this World Cup. Two games, no goals. So there's a lot stacked against them tata martino's enemy number one in mexico right now um we'll have to see it's going to take an inspired performance and some help so we'll see group d saw australia bounce back to be tunisia one nil and france take out denmark two to one let's start with tunisia nil australia one a goal from duke in the 23rd minute who i think plays what was it? Second division football somewhere. I don't know. He he plays in like Japan or something. He plays in a shit league, basically. Um, but he had a brilliant glancing header after a deflected cross found him. He loops it over the top of the goalkeeper on the opposite side of the net. It's a brilliant goal. Argentina only managed, or excuse me, Argentina. Australia only managed 0.61 XG in this game to Tunisia's 0.94. Fewer shots, fewer possession. But I you'd have to say they played a really good match here especially compared to how they fell apart pretty easily against France after France got their opening goal. They really played sort of inspired defensive football in the second half, um, really together. And so credit where credit's due. It's their only their third ever World Cup win. So, you know, it's very meaningful to them to even get this result, even if they don't end up going through. Tunisia, meanwhile, had a pretty letdown performance after they played really well against the danes this is a game they really needed to win because now they head into the france match next week or excuse me tomorrow Jeez, next week with only a single point and they have to beat france at the very least to go through probably so not great uh meanwhile france 2 won denmark this was a fun one denmark had previously beaten france twice in the nation's league this year so they had a, it seemed they had a little something on the French. But this was all about Killian Mbappe this game. He had the individual quality to push them over the edge. He scored in the 61st and the 86th minute with Andreas Christensen heading home in the 68th to bring them level. But Mbappe's 86th minute winner, which looked like his crotch, uh, takes them through. They had a ton of XG, lots of shots. This game really took off in the second half. French really started pushing. And Mbappe... As I mentioned, finally put them ahead. But I want to credit the Danes here, too, is they really improved their output from there. After that first Mbappe goal, causing the French some real problems at the back. They actually had a couple of half chances, you'd have to say, to go ahead after Christensen leveled. But, um, you know, the problem they have is that who is going to finish the chances? You know, they started Braithwaite today. We've seen Cornelius uh there's just not we've seen dolberg start the first match against tunisia they've just been a little toothless uh and in the end what made the difference was the star quality as griezmann's cross from the flank found mbappe's penis and balls and that's no points from denmark in this one um so they'll be going into game with australia in a frustrating position of just having a point but they're still in okay shape if they beat australia they just need France to beat Tunisia or get a even a draw would be okay probably. So, but you know Australia showed some poise and they actually have the chance to still go through themselves if they get a result against Denmark. So it's not a walk in the park, but Denmark should still be able to take take care of business tomorrow. Extra fun fact: Kylian Mbappe has as many World Cup goals as Lionel Messi, more than Thierry Henry, and he already has more international goals for France than Zinedine Zidane. How about that? The man's 23. We'll move to group E now. Saw so Costa Rica get a shock defeat against Japan and Spain and Germany draw 1-1. One, one. Let's start with Japan nil, one Costa Rica. Wow. Kayser Fuller in the 81st minute steals three points for Costa Rica. Miraculously, after they're getting blasted 7-1 by Spain last week, are still in the mix for qualification. Incredible. How much can change from match to match in the world cup group stage this is a proper smash and grab though make no mistake about it costa rica had the fewest touches in the opponent's box at the tournament so far in two two touches in the opponent's box the entire game that's crazy one shot on goal 0.11 xg and they win 1-0 japan created there was almost almost nothing happened in this first half to be fair like japan wasn't creating anything costa rica didn't wasn't creating anything it was like it was super ugly first half japan got an inspired team talk and the second came out created loads and loads of half chances but found very few connections on target they got into like good positions deep in the attacking half with lots of diagonal backs into the box and stuff they just couldn't find a moment of quality and in the end they paid for it the goal from fuller was kind of a speculative effort from just inside the box, and it looks like the Japanese keeper, I forget his name, I apologize for that, but it looks like he jumps too early or something, and then the ball is reaching its apex when he's already coming down and he can't handle it and goes in. It's a bad moment for him, and suddenly qualification that looks so certain for them after beating Germany is under serious threat, uh, but congrats to Costa Rica. You know, It's tough to bounce back from losing, I said 7-1 earlier, but it's 7-0. Well, one of the steepest results, I think, in World Cup history. but And they came back from you know conceding seven to being really solid and resolute. And they could still make it through this motherfucking group, man. They have to at least draw Germany, though. Um, and then hope Spain beat Japan. So it probably still won't happen, but hey, fuck it. You never know at the World Cup. Spain won, Germany won. Germany was under immense pressure coming into this game. A loss could have sent them out. For the second straight World Cup running at the group stage, they've only won, I think, it one World Cup match since winning the 2014 World Cup. That continued today. Uh, it looked like they'd actually gotten ahead in the 40th minute through a Tony Rudiger goal, a header, but it was disallowed for an offside. Into the second half, it was Spain that ended up striking first through substitute Morata. In uh, The ball came in from Jordi Alba on this one. Sula. Marking Morata doesn't really track his run quickly enough. He doesn't follow the near post run for Morata in time. And Morata flicks home nicely. Really sweet goal from him. And somebody who gets made fun of a lot for not being clinical. It was a nice moment for him. And made um, made Enrique look smart for bringing him on when he did. And then the hero for Germany, though. Full Krug. Full Krug. Another substitute. So shut out, Hansi Flick there. Another substitute fires from inside the box, roofs it at the top of the net, and Germany get the result. They stay alive. They would have actually stayed alive with a loss thanks to Costa Rica beating Japan. Costa Rica actually did them a huge favor here because if Japan beats Costa Rica, they're still all but eliminated. But to their credit, I thought they played really well for most of the second half. This is a really fun game overall, has to be said. Spain started controlling the pace of the game as expected in the first half, but it was really hard for Germany to get any joy. They got pressed high and they got stifled. They weren't really able to combine much. They did nearly have that opener through that free kick header from Tony Rudiger, but it was quickly ruled off, as I said, and it was looking kind of dire for them when Murata got that goal. But to their credit, as I said, they really stepped up play in the second half, particularly after that Murata goal. The press got really, really high and intense, like the highest and most intense press I've seen at the world cup so far, frankly. And then it was Spain who was struggling to adjust and keep the ball pinging around their own half. You know, they want to naturally organically build out of that, um, into the, into the midfield and into the attacking half, but it was really difficult for them. The only risk was that when they did get out, they had some joy down the sides with danny Olmo and, and the like, and, and later in the game, Nico Williams, who I was really fun. Um, and that's actually how the goal happened. But Germany kept at it, even forcing an Unai Simon mistake at one time that nearly resulted in a chance on goal. Eventually, though, the sub-fool Krug got that fin A deserved equalizer. It must be quite the moment for him after playing in the Sfida Bundesliga last year. To his credit, he does have 10 goals and 14 appearances for Werder Bremen in the top flight this year. Uh, it's He just really sees the opportunity given to him by flick given the dearth of options in that in that number nine position for Germany right now you know Timo Werner got hurt and he was in, inconsistent from the first from the you know from the off Muller started up there today um, but he's not really a natural number nine he's more of a false nine if anything when he plays there for Bayern and you know it's not his best position to be honest and he's not really at the goals like he has been in previous tournaments Havertz, you know, started on in match day 1 against Japan, but Flick was clearly frustrated by him and has been too many times. We've seen him also struggle to to finish chances in, at the at the international level. Um, yeah, he got a goal ruled off for offside against Japan, so maybe that's a little unlucky. But, you know, he got dropped from the lineup today. He didn't even come in. It's I think it's telling that Flick opted to go with full Krug over him. Um, and Flick was rewarded for it. So it's a big moment for Fu Krug and, you know, validated Flick's decision. And, you know, he was bright enough. And it wasn't just the goal. He actually played really well uh, in the minutes leading up to it. He, you know, was 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 holding the ball up a little bit. He was getting in on the press. He was finding his teammates out wide. It'd be interesting to see if he actually starts against Costa Rica. Um, especially because Costa Rica are going to sit back and defend with a really low block, maybe it's useful to have a more traditional number nine who can sort of go after the ball in the air and that sort of thing. We'll see. Interesting choice for flick, but Germany's alive. We'll see what happens this week. Now to Group F, where Morocco got a surprise two nil win against Belgium and Croatia knocked out Canada four one. Let's start with Belgium nil. Morocco, too first of all, I just want to say as a Dutch fan suck okay, at Belgium sorry, sorry and you know this was totally deserved. Morocco won the XG battle even though they only had thirty three percent of the ball uh Ziyech had a disallowed goal at the end of the first half before Morocco found a breakthrough through Siberia in the seventy third Abu call uh in the ninety second also got uh a second goal for Morocco to really finish the Belgians off. This is the second straight game where the Belgians have really been off the pace and played really tepid stuff. Um, they haven't really looked sharp in buildup at all, despite possessing the ball. They haven't created that many clear-cut chances. Uh, and, and weirdly, for a team that's been together for this long, in terms of the personnel, they look like they're not super well-connected in their passing schemes and in chance creation. Clearly with Batchuai starting up front, they miss a healthy Lukaku who is fit enough to come on, but uh, Batchuai doesn't quite look at it to me. Even De Bruyne hasn't been his normal sharp self. Um, I think this is a really concerning place for them to be in. They have three points going into this final group uh, game against Croatia, and it's at this point it's plausible that they could be knocked out of the group stage um, if they don't get a result in that one. Got to give Morocco a lot of credit here. David and I were pretty high on them previewing this group, and I actually picked them to come through second, which I'm enjoying that prediction right now. Um, so, yeah, I don't think we're that surprised They, you know, that they were able to take advantage of Belgium um, with their pace, especially on the flanks, and uh, it was just sort of a matter of whether they could, A, keep the clean sheet, and B, finish off some chances, and they did both today. Uh, I think they'll really fancy their chances now of winning this group four points through two going in against already eliminated Canada who will only be playing for pride. Uh, I think they have a really excellent chance of not just getting out, but winning this group. This game featured some excellent drama as well, where the Morocco keeper Bono or Bono, um, he had some sort of vision issue or something. So they came out, they took all the team photos. They did the Anthem, they shook hands and then Somewhere between the anthem and kickoff, Bono had to be replaced by by the backup. And the British and who've had a pretty good game, it should be said. And the British broadcasters at least didn't notice for like at least 30 minutes. At one point, when the backup collects the ball, they said they call him Bono. So that was quite amusing. I'm sure you've seen it on the socials, but had to be mentioned. To wrap up this group, Croatia 4-1 Canada. Canada had a really thrilling start, and they got their first. Ever World Cup goal in just the second minute, with Tejan Buchanan crossing into Alfonso Davies runs onto it, opens the scoring with his head. But and you know Canada's doing the same thing they did against Belgium. They're pressing really high. They have so much energy. But after the first like ten to twenty minutes, Croatia really started finding their groove. The main issue in this one for me was that Canada wanted was doing was put out to do that same press that looked so impressive and stifling against Belgium for the most part and should have, you know, produced a result for Canada. The main, But here, creation is just so calm and collected on the ball, and they have, you know, such quality in the midfield, such technical ability. They're able to figure it out pretty quick and work their way around the pressure and then push up into those sort of man-on-man, um, one-on-one battles, running at, running at the defense um, and, frankly, passing around them in the attacking third, too. Belgium couldn't handle that pressure. Um, they didn't really have the personnel to do it, but or or the quality on that particular day to take advantage of those one-view matchups once they did break it, break the press. But Croatia did. Um, it looked like they'd equalized, but it was offside. Yet they still get two goals before the end of the first half through Kramerich and Levia. Kramerich is on the double in the 70th minute. Meyer in the 94th to, to finish off the route. And uh I think Canada was actually kind of naive here. And I hate to say it because they were so such a joy to watch against Belgium and were such a joy to watch in CONCACAF qualifying, and they're just brimming with confidence. And I think Coach John Herdman put them out there to, you know, go toe to toe with Croatia. But this is a team with such vast experience and as I said, technical quality, making the World Cup final in twenty eighteen. I just think I think maybe if they wanted to come out and and hit them like that in the first 10-15 minutes they got their goal that's one thing but I think after that even though it goes against what I want to see in terms of fun free-flowing football it would have been smart to set up as in a more defensive block at least in in the midfield and counter a little more traditionally like we've seen them take on that style against Mexico in the U.S. and qualifying so I was disappointed that that didn't happen and Canada looks like once they lost their heads a little bit they were losing markers all over the place. Like then they just like really sloppy and amateurish in defense. So that was disappointing to see, especially because, you know, we've seen them play really good defense football before. I think um, as much as I like and respect Herdman, that he kind of got us t- kind of flubbed the tactics today and it was pretty naive for them. And now they're out of the world cup. Um, it's impressed with Kramerich today for Croatia. You know, they need somebody to be a clinical up there. No more Manzukic. And he answered. Um, Croatia, I think should be the favorite going into the matchup with Belgium now for what we'll see, what we've seen so far, but it's going to be a tense one. Um, I don't really want to address the whole, um, John Herdman. We're going to F Croatia thing. Croatia claimed it gave them extra confidence or whatever, but I'm not interested in that. I think he was just trying to rally his team show confidence. Uh, doesn't bother me that much, but yeah, maybe plays into the whole general naivete of their, the way they set up today. Now we're going to move on to Group G, which saw quite possibly the wildest, craziest game and result of the tournament. Cameroon 3-3 Serbia. Cameroon opened the scoring in the 29th before Serbia found two in first half stoppage time. One through Pavlović, one through Milinkovic-Savic. Mitrovic scores a lovely goal in the 53rd to make it 3-1. Serbia look like Serbia look like it's it's all over. They're controlling the game. But then Song Cameroon manager brings on a of all people, and he scores a super strange goal in the 63rd, and then Chubomoteng draws level in the 66th, and then all of a sudden we have a 3 3 result. Why the hell did this have to be the the 5 a.m. Eastern game? Because I couldn't watch it live because it was too early. Man, am I sorry I missed this. The drama started early before kickoff with their keeper, Onana, either willingly leaving the team or getting kicked off by the coach. It's sort of unclear which one it is. Apparently because he uses his feet too much. I think there's a disagreement as to whether he, like how casual he is playing short, with his teammates and buildup and also how often he was trying to find an outlet long um, on goal kicks. I think it was a combination of the two and it resulted in what the, what the management claim is like um, issues with behavior team, you know, uh, team rules or violations or something. And Onana's party I think is more like it was a disagreement. I don't know. A uh, very strange situation, but anyway results in the, cameroonian backup being put in and to be honest like they felt it today because well yes he played okay but that second goal the milinkovic savage goal in the 45th plus third minute uh he i guess he's sort of unsighted but milinkovic savage basic he, he passes it into the back of the night but it's not right in the corner like it's super saveable you have to feel that a sharp onana would have been on to that one and maybe saved them a goal um but yeah, this game this from the, before the game even started there is drama. And then, you know, once Serbia goes up three, one, which I should mention that Mitrovic goal, it was lovely, lovely goal. It was like some Brazilian shit. <laughs> there was a bunch of opportunities for a Serbian to have a decent percentage shot, but they kept making the extra pass, driving it further and further in the box, pushing back the defense. and it ends up in a tap in for Mitrovic, uh, I think from Pavlovic. So it surely looked out of reach. Serbia was flying but then for some reason serbia's serbia's insistence on a high line really cost them here that for, that abubakar goal is, as i mentioned really strange it looks like he runs in behind um from that serbian high line and he looks way offside live like everyone in the in the ground thinks he's offside all the players think he's offside i'm pretty sure even abubakar thinks he's offside cuz once he uh he it ends in him sort of like Scooping the ball really, really high into the air over the keeper. It's actually quite a lovely finish. And I've heard some speculation that he probably wouldn't have gone for such a stylish, non traditional finish if he didn't also think he was offsides. So I think it's very possible he thought so. Um, everybody in the stadium did. To the Even the commentators were like, oh, we're playing this out, blah, blah, blah. Then they go to the VAR. He's fucking onside. He's fucking onside. So it's 3 2. And then three minutes later, more high aligned shit from Serbia. it's like why do they why do they insist on it if they can't pull it off? like it's another one that looks probably offside but isn't and it results in chupomoteng eventually finishing the ball. but like why are you gonna if if you can't if your defender can't stay on the same or can't jump at the same time as you've trained then then don't do it especially with a three one three and a three two lead right after conceding it's like make some adjustments man it, it kind of reminded me of a almost like um back in i feel like in the early 2000s and stuff like people were playing this sort of line where everybody would just like all the defenders would just like jump forward at the exact same time and just like hope to god that they kept ronaldo offside or whatever and then ronaldo would go on one v 1 and and meg the keeper and score that those are that's the kind of goal like the kind of situation it felt like it felt kind of old school and very very strange but anyway it results in a three-three draw, and you know it's not the end of the world for either team. But you have to feel like Serbia, Serbia blew this one, um, and Cameroon. I say it's not the end of the world. It's, I should say it's not the end of the world for Serbia, even though they blew this one, um, because they can still go through. They have to beat Switzerland, uh, which is a lot more doable than say, beating, say, Brazil. Like the Cameroonians have to, but the Swiss are really tough to beat as, as, you know, as, as, uh, Brazil proved recently hard to beat really can be a really solidly defensive team, organized, experienced. So it's easy enough to say like, Oh, Serbia, all I have to do is go probably beat Switzerland and Brazil will take care of Cameroon, but easier said than done when it comes to the Swiss, speaking of them, they lost one nil to Brazil Vinicius looked like he'd open the score in the 64th minute, but there was an offsides from Richarlison in the buildup. Eventually, Casemiro has a late winner in the 83rd. It's pretty unlucky for the Swiss, I have to say. It's really good contact from Casemiro, but it did look to me on the replay like it was headed in a saveable trajectory towards Jan Sommer until a slight deflection off the defender's ass takes it out of reach in the corner of the net. Um, Brazil, of course, did deserve to win the game. You know, they had. More chances, more SG, blah, blah, blah. Um, little surprise, Switzerland managed 46% of the ball, actually. I didn't really see that one coming. Um, but they didn't offer an enormous amount in the attacking end. Six shots, none on target. They've proven how tough they can be to beat, though, as I just mentioned, um, talking about, in you know, in relation to Serbia. And it took them almost two full games in this tournament to concede a goal you know, Jan Sommer be like that. Like he always, he's like an Ochoa type. I feel like he always shows up for big moments. And now the Swiss just need a draw to go through against Serbia pretty much assuming Cameroon don't breed Brazil and Brazil. I have to say were impressive in their perseverance, even though they weren't at the races for it, you know, right. right off the start. Um, it was a little bit like that Serbia game where, you know, it eventually like it's really hard to keep them at bay for a full 90, pretty much like with they just can bring on waves and waves of new attackers and midfielders to sustain pressure. And like eventually something's going to snap Um as long as they keep up with that same level of intensity and quality. So, you know, they look re- and, you know, they haven't conceded yet either. So they look really organized as a team. They look kind of relentless. Still the favorites for sure. Finally, we're at Group H and let's start with South Korea 2-3 Ghana. Ghanaian goals in the first half from Salisu and Kudus put Ghana ahead two to nil. But the Koreans fight back two goals in three minutes in the second half, both from Sung Cho. And then Kudus seven minutes later in the 68th wraps up a win for Ghana. But it was nowhere near that simple. Um, yeah, Ghana seemed, you know, they weren't concerned with having the ball today. Just 37% of the ball. Some of that is because South Koreans had to push. But they caught the Koreans twice in the first half. Kudos, what a player he is. He was great today on the double, man of the match for sure. But what really made the difference in South Korea's second half performance and comeback was um, starting Cho, who played as a sub in the first match. He was rewarded by the manager with a start. He had a really superb day, particularly in the air. Both his goals, 58th and 61st minute, came from a pair of crosses. Um, and he really attacked them both. Like, it's not like he's served up on a platter. They're good crosses, but he has to really, like, push and attack them. And he does brilliantly in both situations. But the Koreans just couldn't keep the Ghanaians off the uh, off the counter. And despite, you know, putting in a decent effort um, in the press and, and controlling the ball, the Koreans... Just couldn't couldn't hold off Kudus, who tapped home his double. um It was a really nervy finish. Korea just throwing in throwing in crosses over and over and over and over. Ghanan's just about barely repelling it. A um, little bit of drama at the end. I think it was nine extra mi- added minutes. They were through to the hundredth, but there was like an injury break or something, a pause in that period. So it wasn't crazy to have another extra minute. Um, korea, south korea had earned a corner and anthony taylor blew for full time uh, korea was pissed the manager got sent off sun was in tears they thought they were owed that extra chance and it is pretty unorthodox to blow for a full time before you know an attacking set piece but i didn't think it was crazy unreasonable given there was already 10 minutes of extra time in an in nine added um but Korea will be bitterly disappointed here to concede three times. I have to say Ghana are turning out to be quite fun to watch. Two three two games in this World Cup so far, one a loss, one a win. Um yeah, they have I think something David and I have talked about previously is that they have a lot of fun players. Kudus is one of the best attackers they've seen in a while. Such a promising player too, surely going to end up on a on a on a, you know, top four league club soon inevitably. IX's next big sale. But um yeah, they just have a lot of uh they have a lot of quality going forward. The question is whether they can concede fewer than two goals. Um, because that could be the difference from them getting through and not at this point. Meanwhile, Portugal 2 nil Uruguay. Uh bit of a strange thing on the opener here where it's a cross in from Bruno Fernandes in the second half, and Ronaldo goes up for the header. It looks like he's flicked it in and he goes over to celebrate as claiming it as his own. And then we learn through replay and like ball science <laughs> from Adidas that he t- got absolutely no touch on the ball and he's full of shit. Fuck you, Ronaldo. Yeah, the it turns out to be Bruno Fernandez's goal. Portugal wraps it up later with a after Ronaldo's gone off with a Bruno Fernandes penalty and Portugal win 2-0. This is another one where I was like, yeah, Portugal probably maybe just about deserved to win, but they they're just so boring. They don't they don't offer a lot. Uruguay in the second half was offering a lot. I thought um I thought they were unlucky not to get an equalizer after they went down 1-0. Um they started in the back 3 for some reason where and then once they reverted to their more customary 4-4-2 or 4-2-2-2 or 4-2-4 or whatever you want to call it. Um I thought they were a lot better. So maybe a questionable choice there to switch up the formation ahead of time because they didn't really they didn't really show much attacking verb until the 50th or 60th minute, um, and they put themselves in a really difficult position here at Uruguay because now they have to beat Ghana uh, to have a chance of going through. So but it's it's much tougher for South Korea who have to go and beat. Portugal to have any chance. Portugal of course though was already qualified top of the group or not top of the group yet but they've qualified. Um so is this a fun one any we thought those was going to be a fun group going into the tournament any four team could qualify four of the teams could qualify. Um I think pretty much anything could happen at this point. I'll especially be paying close attention to that Uruguay Ghana game. Um because there's, they've sort of been on opposite ends of the spectrum. Uruguay haven't scored yet. Um and and only conceded one open play goal. Meanwhile, Ghana conceded five times and scored five times. So <laughs> kind of a uh, conflicting uh, performances so far heading into this final match. Uruguay is gonna have to fucking score if they want to get through. I'd say Suarez didn't only came on late today. He had a big chance late to maybe get an equalizer before the penalty didn't happen for him. wasn't happening for Cavani. Darwin Nunez looked a little better, I thought, than Cavani and Suarez has, but um, the Palestri was really fun on the right too. So he he should probably get that start on that right flank position against Ghana. But I don't know. we we'll have more to talk about. I think, um, on Friday when this all wraps up, just a few closing closing thoughts. I just want really want really quick wanted to shit on Fox's Fox Sports's World Cup coverage. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I miss ESPN's coverage of some sort of sport. Uh, the Fox stuff is super obnoxious. Alexi Lalas is way too fucking prominent, and they, I don't I don't really like how some of their commentator teams are dispersed. Like today, during the the U.S. game, like yes, uh, the I don't remember who his name is, but the the main play by play guy and Stu Holden are always going to give the U.S. games. They seem to get all the primetime games. That's fine, whatever, they're fine. But um, then you make Ian Dark and Landon Donovan. Ian Dark, who has the most iconic USA call of all time, the go, go USA! Uh, when, after the Donovan goal against, um, against Slovenia in 2010, iconic call, and Donovan, <laughs> who scored that goal, who's a U.S. legend, are, are, are doing the England-Wales game that probably doesn't matter. Uh, and it's like, not only do we not get to hear like those guys on the USA call, they don't even get to fucking watch the USA game, but they have to win. That seemed kind of fucked up. Um, there is also the issue of, of, uh, Kobe Jones and, and, uh, who the fuck is his broadcasting partner? Uh, oh, what the fuck is his name? It doesn't matter. But yeah, so Kobe Jones is, is, is former U S international is an MLSer is on, is, is look, I'm sure he's a great guy and I'm sure he was a fine footballer, but he is not good at this. And I feel like every fucking game that I turn on, he's, he's doing the color on and it's, it's really shocking that he's one of the like six pairs of people that get on. Most of them are fine, but it's like, ah, it's just annoying. And it's too much American, too many American voices too, you know? Like, I just want... Is it too much to ask to have a fucking Brit narrate my football? For God's sake. Anyway, fucking rant over. Finally, to wrap it up, only three teams. Obviously, today, Group A and B wrapped up. But ahead of that game, only three teams had progressed so far. And only two teams had been eliminated. So that's a really good sign for more drama moving forward. Most teams are still alive. Nobody in from in the other six groups, not including today have been assured of winning their group yet so it's all to play for um we'll be back with all the wrap-up of the group stage all the drama on friday afternoon evening we'll also have a little preview about um the the weekend upcoming round of 16 features that now includes the netherlands and the united states my two teams facing off who will you root for it's gonna be the dutch uh fuck the u.s i'm now anti-us go dutch go Aranya. help holland um, that's gonna be an anxious one for me though. And England, Senegal. So, um, we'll be back on Friday. Till then, cheers to the international motherfucking game.